Oh yeah. <clears throat> Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Waste Books podcast. Um, it's been a second. We had a little hang up uh, getting this thing put together, edited and all that. So sorry about that. I'm releasing it a little early, a couple days early because I want to release uh, another appendix later this week. Um Wasteoid Mary Kate Teske and I sat down with uh, Natalie Myers, um, as well as some other friends, Sawyer Peterson and uh, Kiana Velasquez. Yeah, it was fucking awesome. It was a nice hang. It was kind of an interview with Natalie. So sweet. I will post that later this week. Um, but for now, we have uh, a discussion of The Argonauts, which is a book by Maggie Nelson. Uh, it's a queer memoir, and it was uh, good for us to tackle and talk about and try not to be fucking assholes. So hopefully we handled that well. Please do let us know if we fucked up uh, in talking about this stuff. We want to know and make sure that we're doing it properly and make sure that the conversation we're having is productive and uh, progressive and working toward um, good shit, because that's kind of what we're about. There's a lot of gnarly shit um, around us, and we're trying to carve out a little niche of good stuff. Um, so, let's see. Usual plugs. Uh, if you like this episode, check out our waste, uh, check out our website, waste-division.org. Also, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash waste division. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. Uh, you can check out uh, the different subscription off offers we have if you want to uh, help support this little project we have going on um, we send you packages in the mail depending on how much you give us you can give us a buck and we'll send you a sticker per month or uh, if you give us a little more five bucks or ten bucks we start sending stuff like uh, tapes or CDs or uh, posters that we make up or friends of ours make up uh, like I said, we're just thinking of it as an independent art distribution service. Uh, we're not really making money off it, just kind of barely paying our bills. Uh, but we like it as a way to reach out into the world and to reach out to other artists to make sure that uh, their good stuff can find its way into the hands of people like you who might care to have it or to give it to their friends or uh, whatever. So anyway... If you're interested in that, patreon.com. Um, burp, burp, burp. I think that's it. I'll say other shit at the end if I need to. Okay, this is our conversation about Maggie Nelson's The Argonauts. Waste, 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 waste. Books! Recording. Ricardo, hey, uh. <sighs> Live. Are we on the YouTube? Yeah, yeah. It says we're off air. We're on air now. Are our faces right, on? Right. Are our faces on air? Ah. Yeah. Fuck. What's the phone number you want to give people to have them call in with uh, Jack, if you're out there, give us a call. <laughs> 406. Our one, our one fan. <laughs> hey, man, that's a base. That's the start of a base. 
You know what, man? One one a foundation starts with one brick. Fuck yeah, bro. I, that's right. And with, Sightful with, as with shit. that, we'll uh, let's get <coughs> cracking. You're smoking cigarettes inside, Philip. No, 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 Lucky no. You. No, no. I don't think your landlord will be listening. Actually, Jack's I have your, a lot of unless fans. Unless Jack's man. your landlord, <laughs> he's your daddy. Damn, we're he's... just we're just fucking raking Phil. It's all right. <laughs> I can take it. Do you want to start the show though, dickheads? Yes. Yeah, Let's yeah, get yeah. going. Uh, hello, everybody out there, and uh, what I keep reading as wastelands. Uh, I'm Cooper Malin. <laughs> uh, I'm Cooper Malin out here in Dixon, Montana. And this is Phil in Billings, Montana. Phil Griffin. This is Eric Tonus out in Eugene, Oregon. This is Dan in this Bangkok, is, oh. Thailand. Oh fuck! Jesus. <laughs> Take it easy, guys. This is Jordan in Brooklyn, New York. We should really have an order every time. (laughs) (laughs) You're actually not wrong. Yeah, that's actually a decent idea. (laughs) Thanks. Alphabetical. To have figured that out beforehand. Alphabetical by height. Cooper, Daniel, Eric, Jordan, Phil. I like that. So we'll take it again. Hi, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to edit it. Yeah, yeah. Who's the last one? Dan's a forgotten one this time. Yeah, that's all In right. more ways than one. Yeah, he's yes, the last indeed. duckling. That's right. Because, Dan, you didn't you didn't read it this time. You weren't able to get it. Right. Yep, I could not find a single copy in Bangkok. And so here I am uh, ready to provide my non-knowledge about this book to everyone that, that may be listening. So about that the same okay. if you would have read it. What's up? About the same if you would have read it then. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll about... get into that and much more because this <laughs> week's episode is "The Argonauts" by Maggie Nelson. I thought we might as well get the name of the book and the author within at least the first thirty minutes of this this week's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> is that what um, we're doing here? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it so is. We, we let them uh, know oh, about the book before. Jesus. Oh. <laughs> It is her 2015 uh, memoir. Uh, I believe she classifies it as a collection of essays that she did uh, shortly after her pregnancy. Um, it's also um, uh, poetry at times. It's it's a lot of things. It's it, it uh, though it is a lot of things. It's really short. It's like what like 130 pages long. So this 40. is actually. 140. This is, this is still one of our shortest books that we've done, um, and the first nonfiction one, if I have that right. You are correct. Um, well, uh, Be Here Now was kind of... Ah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. It depends on, I, I guess, what you believe. <laughs> it just depends on your perspective, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we are all one. This book doesn't necessarily <laughs> need um, a synopsis because we can go through it here briefly, but essentially what a large part of the book is about um, 
is her love and relationship with her partner, uh, Harry Dodge, who is a gender-fluid individual. Um, her relationship as a stepmother, uh, her relationship with their child, and you know, her conceiving and giving birth and then raising this, uh, this child, and um, sexuality in, as a whole, gender to some degree, like a lot of it is just family. Sort of her... Yeah, family's a, I would say family's the biggest one, and then she is a, an academic, and so she kind of uh, takes a lot of things in there and, and, and writes about it. Yeah, it's got a... There are some, like, serious literary criticism moments in it. Kind of, where she, like, actually book. engages with... Yeah. Because the She engages with other texts. Yeah, for for most of it, and I listening to her talk about the book. That was sort of the impetus was, um, was her reading uh, these other literary critiques and philosophical treaties, and then her sort of writing her response to it. And she does it in a really interesting way in the book. Um, is that she italicizes some of the texts that she's taking, um, and then writing off of that. But then in the margins on the uh, left hand side of the book in the margins she has who it is who wrote that original prose and, and and who she's critiquing or in some cases you know towards the very end there's there's a a piece there where harry her her partner is uh speaking and she gives his name in the in the text so it's kind of a a funky way of doing it and when i look online at uh, critiques of this book people had problems with it because it is fucking dense it is some of the stuff. It's a, I mean, yeah, because it's, it's really, it's really highbrow without that being an insult. I mean, it's just a lot of philosophers and Deleuze and, is a big one. Yes, and yeah. Guattari is Deleuze, it? huh? Yeah, yeah. Wittgenstein oh, is the I beginning. Haven't, I haven't whispered the name of Deleuze in, in a couple <laughs> years. Wow. Whispered okay. the name specifically. He has a yeah, reputation. Right. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah there's, uh, there's so much in this. Because of I, that, I, uh, going off of that, Cooper, I found yeah. it wildly frustrating for me sometimes in this book because it would jump between, like you were saying, like kind of like poetic prose and then like these dense sections of like uh, like crit literary criticism about a lot of philosophy texts. And I found myself kind of feeling left out a little bit as the reader because I am not as familiar with a lot of the stuff she was talking about. So in a lot of ways, she did try to, like, uh, I think, explain it well enough to, like, uh, in layman's to readers who weren't familiar. But it still was kind of frustrating for me on that level, personally. Yes, I, I, as somebody who... Because it's... There, there were some context clues, but I actually tried to spin it in the positive when I was reading it. Because there, there is so much where I, A, didn't know who she was referring to... Um, yeah, and B couldn't quite um, wrap my mind around the ideas she was working with, and that's on me. Uh, again, when I looked at critiques, I, I was looking on Goodreads um, for like a lot of those user submitted reviews, and the biggest complaint are these sort of what they call pretentious, highfalutin academic writing. Uh, but I try to spin it positively, and actually, like it forced me to look up artists and writers that I hadn't previously heard about, and I actually really enjoyed that aspect. The book mm -hmm. kind of made me do a little bit more outside research than I necessarily would have for anything else. 
Definitely. I actually noticed that in one of the reviews that you sent me, Cooper, was that somebody had followed their work and threw it, fo- or sorry, followed Maggie Nelson's work and threw it, found like a bunch of artists. So that maybe is like a common thing with her, and it's may- probably like arguably part of her goal as a writer, right? Like, yeah, in in having just to make it clear, right? You're talking about the names in the in the. Margins, it, it's yep. a way of citation and showing sources on different quotes that she drops in or ideas. It seems like they're either either paraphrases or quotes or yeah, both. It, it seems probably. like she uses those interchangeably. Yeah. It's pretty it's pretty fluid uh, how she chooses to reference them, but she always does put the name but in the margins. It seems like me, a arguable goal of that is to like make these names known and then make the community known. Um, yeah, and then of course, like as you mentioned, like having Harry's name um, alongside those is interesting, um, and just like emphasizes the communal aspect that it's a community of individuals, and that like mm-hmm. to name those people is really meaningful. It was, and it was well, really cool to. Sorry, go ahead. I've talked way too much. Oh well, I, my thinking about what that was trying to do was there's a point where she makes a reference to going to Borders or Barnes & Noble and seeing this professor uh, speak and do a lecture and talk a lot about her family and her personal life and, like, showing pictures of the professor slash mother washing her infant child in a bathtub. And and after she does her lecture, another professor comes up and basically grills her for making something something that's supposed to be academic so personal. And she's castigated, and Maggie Nelson's experience... Oh, yeah comes comes out to be basically not not that blunt but as you continue reading that there is something really important about having the personal be a part of criticism mm-hmm. um, like the, I think to me it fits along with that same idea of the the personal is political and I think that mm-hmm. that's consummated when you get to the end of the, the those Harry quotes are at the end mm-hmm. so it finally intersects and these you know you see you know Judith Butler and Deleuze and yep. uh, uh, Sedgwick all and sorts of famous Sedgwick yeah all these famous figures and then Harry uh, becomes one of them and it, it finally sort of closes itself uh, it's like a meta reference to how her work is a work of criticism literary criticism yep. and like literary theory and also yeah. uh, a memoir so. right it, it is again as somebody who is coming from it with little to no background in a lot of the references I don't I would make an argument that it didn't remove me from the story it was at times difficult certainly but she I think did a really good job of she has a story to tell and I was engaged enough in the story to just press on well and her presentation and the the pacing that falls out of that is helpful right where like um, just to draw out like for the reader or the listener um, like the book doesn't have any chapters, right? It's just a series of paragraphs, which mm-hmm. Dan actually is much like uh, Wittgenstein's philosophical investigations. Okay, gotcha. Um, where like sometimes the paragraphs are continuous and pursue like a similar story or topic, and other times they just jump from one to the other between different things. Um, and so okay. for me, that made it. <laughs> Kind of light enough. It's kind of Nietzschean, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you can like hop around. So if there's a 
a paragraph that's a little dense or even a page. Like, I think probably what I ended up doing was reading that for the rhythm of the language because it is, as somebody or some people have mentioned, like um, a piece of, like, lyric poetry or something or, Mm -hmm. uh, like, a poetic essay. What did we call it in writing class, Eric? Would that have been a prose prose poem kind of? Yeah. Um, so sometimes I'd just enjoy the rhythm and I'd be like, all right, I'm not too worried about this, like, obscure academic reference. Although, like, as somebody who is kind of trained in it, I was interested to, like, try to follow it and see if I could um, make sense of those, like, more highfalutin But um, you, yeah, you quotes, can certainly but, parse it out because she's yeah. a really good writer. And so she does sort of lay totally. out what she's getting from it. Right. Even if you don't understand, like, the original quote. Or the right. like the source material. Well, I think right. she did a really good job, like uh, always contextualizing what the reference was to, or what kind of idea she was trying to get across from the reference. Right. I just think for me, there was such a lack of, like, what uh, what's the word structure in a lot of ways to the the narrative that it yeah. it, it kind of threw me off a lot of times. Not that the writing was bad. Like you were saying, Phil, I liked how you brought up the, the cadence and rhythm was a lot. A lot of times I like I cruised through like 50, 60 pages in like a couple hours yeah. one day. Mm-hmm. And and that was just like sitting down and being like, all right, I'm, because it hits those short sections of paragraphs, which you can just breeze through and get this like rhythm going kind of like a poetic type rhythm. Yeah. So I enjoyed that it, about it. Yeah. I don't want to give Dan the wrong impression that this is like a dry piece of material right. you read Definitely because this is actually right. it's an incredibly um personal and at times reads like you're reading maggie nelson's journal mm-hmm. like it's it's very um uh what's the like um confessional and it, mm. it, it feels at times especially because there there are jumps in perspective where she's she's writing and the reader obviously is the intended um object of her writing but then at other times she switches and will be referring to her partner and lover harry and will be saying you you know you were there that day you know, yeah. we were together on the pillow and so you feel suddenly a like a giant you're pillow a giant you just suddenly feel like you're a part of something that almost like you're like oh i should be like this is really i don't i don't know it, it's a she it's really professional beautiful. almost yes like it's like a really stream a of consciousness of it's like i feel like I get the feeling that she, like, sat down and just, like, would write these sections right in a row of whatever just came to her head from what she I was think... feeling. And it was very, like, emotional. Well, it's like a love letter in that sense, it, right? Yeah, totally. Or probably those parts are the love letter, basically. It, this this book also deals a lot with her changing, too. Um, you know, she numerous times... And I really like this, where she contradicts herself throughout the piece. Like, she admits these preconceived notions, and then something like uh, childbirth, uh, being a mother, um, watching uh, Harry's transformation would, would change how she previously thought of something, which, in the world which she's operating in, which is a sort of uh, modern feminist queer theory, she alludes to can be very difficult to then have to... Um, have to wrestle with these changes. I think there was a nice quote at one point where she used the juxtaposition of Harry after going to Florida for uh, whatever procedure that Harry was uh, she becoming got top surgery. 
Yeah, Harry was becoming more male, and she was becoming more female as she became more pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was, like, an interesting um, way to describe that. Yeah, it but- was, especially because Harry's gender is so... I mean, he's ge- they're gender Ambiguous. fluid, but... Yes, well, like non-binary, yeah. right? But, I mean, eventually. Yeah. I guess I wasn't sure about, like, um, how Harry quite... Because she... Maggie eventually gives, like, Harry's backstory at the very end, mm-hmm. we see. Mm-hmm. Um, where, when you were born... This is page 136. When you were born, you were Wendy Malone. Perhaps you mm-hmm. were men- Wendy Malone for but minutes or hours. We don't know. Your adoption had been arranged prior to your birth, and at three weeks old, you were delivered to your parents, whereupon you became Rebecca Priscilla Bard, which is who you were for the next 20-odd years. Becky. In college, you made a loose stab at renaming yourself Butch, though, hilariously. You didn't really know what it meant. You had, it, had, uh, it had just been a nickname for you used by your father. After you knew, you could tell who was gay by introducing yourself. I'm Butch, you'd say, swinging your long blonde hair. No, you're not. Those in the know would chuckle. <laughs> then after dropping out of college and moving to San Francisco in a Judy Chicago-style rebirth, you renamed yourself Harriet Dodge. After you had a child, you inched toward the state and made the change official. You placed an ad in the paper, filed the paperwork at the courthouse. Over time, you became Harriet Harry Dodge, an attempt to conjure the feeling of and or but. Now you're simply Harry the Harriet, a distasteful but sometimes indicative appendage. Anyway, I thought that was important to kind of like show how she like recounts in a passage Harriet's kind of story. Yeah, it, and really it's, the only place, like I said, or one of the only places we get like a clear. <laughs> Thing of that. <laughs> well, what's interesting is that is actually one of the biggest critiques from um, for, from some in the queer community about this book, because uh, uh-huh. Harry Dodge is, a, is an incredibly successful like artist and ceramicist and sculpturist, S- sculpturist, sculptor, a sculptor. Yeah, that's right. That's the word. Um, yeah. In their own right, and but yeah, so I believe I believe Harry is gender fluid. So. Despite the fact that they had top surgery, which is where they remove um, yes. a person's breasts and is undergoing uh, testosterone treatment, so they are taking testosterone. Um, T, and if you look up as it's called. T, yeah. And if you look up a picture of, of them, um, they're just a, a big, muscular dude with facial hair and like flat bill caps and is just out there doing art. But so, mm. a big critique of the story, because it is dealing with Maggie Nelson's. Um, watching the transformation of her partner and so people will say that this isn't her story to tell where mm. Maggie Nelson is herself not queer um, nor trans but she's telling the Harry's story and so people find um, mm. find problems with that I didn't see it as being anything I mean it, it's it was beautiful like it was a tragic beautiful look at something that personally I've never quite I've experienced you know I, I don't have close loved ones that are themselves trans or or gender fluid and so I haven't had to deal with it so it was really moving to see to see her capture that so well I felt right what do you guys think about that because yeah. it is yeah that's, it, it keeps there's coming actually back to a it. passage on page 46 uh, about her talking to Harry showing Harry the draft of some of the these essays and stuff mm-hmm. um 
Can I read it? Should I just read it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. you got it, please. Please. Yeah. Okay. I finish the first draft of this book and give it to Harry. He doesn't have to tell me that he's read it. When I come home from work, I can see the pile of ruffled pages sticking out of his knapsack, and I can feel his mood, which one might describe as quite ire. We agree to go out for lunch. Quiet ire. Quiet ire. Sorry. My bad. We agree to go out for lunch the next day to talk about it. At lunch, he tells me he feels unbeheld. Unheld, even. I know this is a terrible feeling. We go through the draft page by page, mechanical pencils in hand, with him suggesting ways I might facet my representation of him, of us. I try to listen, try to focus on his generosity in letting me write about him at all. He is, after all, a very private person who has told me more than once that being with me is like an epileptic with a pacemaker being married to a strobe light artist. But nothing can substa- uh, substantively quell my inner defense attorney. How can a book be both a free expression and a negotiation? Is it not idle to fault a net for having holes? So, yeah. Oh, do you want me to keep going? Nah. End of that. Okay. That's like the main gist of that section, though. Yeah, certainly. But, I mean, the fact that it's published and they're a loving, beautiful family, you have to imagine that Harry has signed off on everything that's in this book. I think she's mm-hmm. just sort of giving right. uh, some backstory and in, in, in some appreciation to the fact that, yes, this isn't my story, and we worked it out, and what you're reading in your hands now is the sort of love contract that me and my partner made. But right. for some, that, that wasn't good enough, maybe... Well, there's always, I mean, I don't, it, this, anytime you, you do anything, you're going to get people yeah. um, choosing to critique it. I, you know, I couldn't find too much uh, negative reviews on it. That is just something I remember hearing. In fact, from the person who recommended this book, that was one of their comments saying there are some people who um, don't necessarily like this book all that much, and, and that is one of the bigger reasons. But it's strange because I found it to be like the, the, the part where you, you brought it up, um, Eric, when they went to Florida for the surgery, I thought that was, like, one of the most beautiful parts of the book, just her talking about their um, their time in the hotel recovering, and um, it was it was a short little totally. uh, glimpse. I think, you know, I think my... at one... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just I think those were my favorite parts, those, like, really prosaic moments of, like, them in their daily life, and or her just, like, you know talking about her emotions about you know their situation or family yeah those are some of the best parts for sure she's very good at writing i think really emotionally and raw from within like i said in the text message you guys earlier was there anything in this book that challenged you guys in any way that changed challenged no challenged yeah challenged like in what way in any way yeah, was there was there anything that you came up against or or in reading? Because she she has some very strong opinions on you know heteronormity, homonormity, queer identity, queer theory, like things that uh, can be challenging at times. And I was curious if there's anything in this book. Um, I don't know. Maybe the tone a little bit is a little bit. Uh, what's the word? Pompous at times, fringing on kind of pompous and like. Uh, combative <laughs> about some of the issues. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That was just my personal take. Uh, yeah, Jordan, I want to hear a lot more from you so, on yeah, this because I feel like you're the best trained in it. Wait, what? So. No. 
but I was just saying uh, you're in school at a place where this stuff is talked about a lot more than any of us have had exposure. No. I mean, New, okay. you're in New York and shit. I, it's all metropolitan. She, like, lived in New York, wrote in New York, went to the university. I'm just talking about, like, um, I don't know. I guess maybe not. You've purposefully avoided queer issues in your master's thesis and stuff, right? Or, like, feminist issues. Well, I'll, I'll just say this. So when I read it, I, I liked it a lot more in the first half and the second half. Um, I did feel eventually kind of what Eric was talking about as far as combative and I did feel as if uh, there was something wrong with my heteronormativity and I was trying to look at myself and ask oh, am, I, am I just a, like a is this like white male insecurity coming out and I'm sure it did mm-hmm. uh, yeah. but there were times where it did feel as if being heterosexual or not being queer, you were doing a disservice to the rest of the world. And I did feel guilty about that. And I don't think a book should make you feel guilty. Uh, yeah. Unless it's mm. Naomi Klein. No, sometimes, sometimes a book, sometimes a book <laughs> should make you feel guilty. I think, hey, that's nice Cooper. I think there was like an attitude also about like uh, people who were, uh, uninformed about issues about around surrounding that too. Like if you didn't know, all your shit about all of this queer theory that you were kind of like part of the problem and maybe maybe a lot they didn't take into account she i feel like she didn't take into account lack of exposure depending on cultural background and stuff well, yeah, yeah but I, at I was this more, point there is an art go, go ahead jordan no no. no 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 go ahead phil you got something i don't care no i don't care enough go ahead okay <laughs> i i was thinking about her target audience and it seemed to definitely be a highly educated left-leaning audience and yeah just because i i read theory for my school it was very oh, okay yeah i remember that or oh i know this person like that makes sense according to their theory um yeah and and on that note I, like you in the beginning of this conversation you were talking about the way that she uses quotes here i just wanted to say this before i forget but i did i think the problem is how you frame these quotes because she's trying to make it like literary criticism but informal literary criticism so by just inserting those quotes with the name to the side it makes it a lot more fluid or seamless than saying when Deleuze said in his anti-Oedipus his expanded on his theory etc 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 instead she just drops a quote so it's really a question of whether or not it's being framed appropriately where you can infer what it is if you're educated enough. And I don't mm. know, maybe that succeeded, maybe it didn't. It did for me, but I've, I'm more privileged in that respect as mm-hmm. far as having to be absorbing this information for my future career. Yeah, it so, seems like that's one of those... those so yeah, it's combative at times. It seems like that's one of those creative nonfiction tropes doing the kind of like seamless entry of like uh, citations and stuff. I just, I want to say, I don't think it was combative. I don't if think you, it was that combative. If if you don't understand queer theory, she doesn't have a problem with you. I can say that just from reading this book. A lot of her slams, I feel like in the, in the, in the book, were about um, 
like it was it was it was slams on men being misogynistic and i don't think that's if you feel that is combative then then that's like that is something to look at i don't think she's saying saying if you don't understand all of about the complexities of constantly changing 21st century queer theory you're the part of the problem but she i think she does get combative when she is uh has become impregnated and deals with some of the long-standing beliefs that people particularly men have about pregnant women and i don't think that's um wrong i think that was a very interesting thing to to you know have to look at my my girlfriend you know is is pregnant and and i certainly see it in myself and in other people and how they behave around her now Definitely, and, and this even gets into what and I, I agree with you, and I maybe combative is a strong word. I think a lot of this comes down I, to with a lot of identity politic issues. These people, it's not their job, like they have enough as it is. It's not their job to make it easy for people to understand. Uh, it's not their job to to really sugarcoat everything. I mean, a lot of these people are really upset, so it's really demanding. Like I think about someone like my dad, who walked. This is oh. He walked into a church when he was visiting New York and he saw a Black Lives Matter sticker and it had blood on it and he saw that as an attack to white people and he got really upset. It's like, why? They wouldn't want me in that church. They have a Black Lives Matter sticker out there. So I, I hope that's not too much of a stretch, but no. my point is that as far as reproaching myself, she doesn't have to be that accommodating to people that are not queer. But I'd like to think that a, a more ideal writer would be able to do that, especially when this is sort of like a New York Times um, bestseller target right. audience, I think. But I don't know. Maybe I'm splitting hairs or being nitpicky. I well, think, like, what I found fascinating was that she... Sorry, if yes, I, I, I wanted... Because I think oh, her ahead, attacks on queer theory was super fascinating, actually. And they weren't attacks. It was, it was... I thought it was really interesting her talking about, you know, homonormity. Um, normativity, the, right? Ho, ho, yeah, homo normativity and the idea of what is queer. I thought that was really interesting. Totally. Uh, but I'm sorry, Eric. What were you gonna say? Oh no, I nothing. Go ahead. Um, Cooper, I, that was something that really fascinated me. If you want to get going on that one, well, because she—that's what she's wrestling with through a lot of the novel. You know, the her her critiques on. You know, and, and she does make mention of, of white men a couple times in the book. Um, I think those those stand alone as uh, still how women are treated, and and so I will I'll always welcome a forced critique of myself on that. Um, but what's interesting was so a big part of what she has to deal with in this book is realizing that what was at once strange. She looks, with, yeah, go ahead. Well, just yeah, what was at once strange is now, you know, essentially what we have here in this book is a white woman whose partner is a white male, and they have two kids together. And she was like, wait a minute, what happened to queerness? Like, what happened to, what happened to, like, you know, um, uh, being outlaws? You know, she brings up some really fascinating um, gay and queer activists, that one guy who goes to countries where they'll kill you or arrest you if you're gay, mm-hmm. and he just fucks dudes, like, in Romania... <laughs> and she, had a, she had like a great term for it. It was like a fucking gay, oh, yeah. like punk activist. It was amazing. Like, and she mentions a couple of these things as like people who are really pushing um, the queer agenda in a positive way, where they're still just being like crazy out there. Like that was the point. And she found the straight world's uh, like pornographic currency, as she calls it, 
and like our openness for uh, sexuality. She's like, but where do we where do we queers go now? Like, you guys are now fucking bogarting our space. Yeah, that's an interesting issue. I think the that whole thing about wrestling with homonormativity and heteronormativity and um, what families are supposed to look like is yeah. interesting with this. Um, right, yeah, and something that she talks about and, like, lets us in on is her considerations around... You know, like some extreme feminists who I I had the fucking thing earlier, but I lost it. Um, talking about a feminist who is discouraging women from having babies and like saying some even more radical shit that I was hoping to read, but I lost it. Don't um, reproduce, don't produce, that type thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and um, I think it's interesting to see her grapple with that, especially, like, with myself having just gotten out of a divorce. I've been thinking Mm. about marriage a lot. um, And kind of, like, this crossed over with a lot of my interests around, like, um, expectations about how relationships are supposed to look. Um, Because, like, as you mentioned, Cooper, this on the outside would look like just a normal, like, white family. Yeah. Uh, with yeah. like a buff sort of male looking guy even though he's non-binary or gender fluid um Masculine. yeah um and and also i wanted to point out like and she even brings it up like we named our kid at like a native american name Ig- what was it Ig- <laughs> yeah Ig- no it was Ig- uh, well, Iggy but in in ignacio or something Oh, you're right. I'm wrong. Igasho. Yes. Um, And so, and then she, like, gets a blessing from a fucking native lady who's like, okay, if anybody gives you any grief, then you tell them that you got my blessing. And then she comes to find out that the tribe that that late, she's like, you could tell somebody that somebody from the Pima tribe gave you their blessing. And then she goes and finds out that the Pima... Uh, the tribe Pima was the name given to the Othama tribe by the Spaniards. It is a corruption or a misunderstanding of the phrase P-Animak or Pimak, meaning I don't know a phrase tribe members supposedly said often in response to invading Europeans. <laughs> so, like, um, it was all just ridiculous <laughs> in the end for her to have, like, the condonement of... I, I don't know. Th- and there's kind of something in this whole novel that's very Wittgensteinian about language. Um, right? She says it a couple times that language expresses the inexpressible oh. inexpressibly or something. Right. Um, which is just to say that, like, our words are really weird and mysterious and funny sometimes, <laughs> I think. <laughs> totally. And I, and I think, and then at another point later in the book, doesn't she she say something on the lines of that words are intentionally confusing? It's either that or they're, like, incredibly binding. And it's mm-hmm. within that that, oh, I don't know. There, <laughs> That was maybe one of those aspects that just kind of flew over my head, but I was like, but she talks about assholes a lot, so I'm fine. Well, that, well, Phil, as far as that quote that the inexpressible is contained, 
inexpressibly in the express. Yeah. A lot of that seemed to be with her, the whole whole text and a lot of modern uh, theory, it's this response to postmodernism where postmodernism seems to be like this white man game where it's basically nihilism that's really fun and mm. really desperate and hopeless and there's something death drive driven in this sort of fascination with the apocalypse or this fascination with total destruction mm-hmm. and I feel like this movement, whatever the movement this is going to be after postmodernism is something that's more grounded and we can say like okay well we don't really know but we can like make some assumptions about things like it reminds me of like Habermas talks about some communicative rationality where you know words don't really have a direct relationship to things but we still have an idea of what those expressions are supposed to mean mm-hmm. and that's important enough and wow. we shouldn't we shouldn't just say we shouldn't just say oh it's pointless it's hopeless there's we can just sort of deconstruct all of language uh, to be meaningless. Um, no, instead we can say that when we say a word, we are trying to express a feeling, and if we can get that expressed and connected somehow to another person, that's enough. So, like, that Wick- Wittgenstein quote seems to be what that's about. And especially, to make to name drop one more time, there's a, <laughs> Bring there's it. a post- postmodern blackness essay by Bell Hooks from 1990 which says the same thing, so I'm just stealing her idea, that postmodernism basically just makes it really hard for minority groups to express themselves because they come into this in the civil, after the civil rights movement, which happens to coincide with postmodernism, and they find out, well, well, nothing really matters and everything you do is futile, and now they have no way to use language to save themselves. So mm. there's almost something white supremacist in postmodernism and that it's debilitating to the point where no one can actually do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, so I like to cool. think that this, yeah. So I like to think that this is sort of like a reaction to that, like, no fuck you, white people, and your hopelessness or whatever your dominant right. ideology and your. It's like really easy to just say that we're all doomed because then everyone's defeated and then whatever the uh, dominant structures is is going to maintain its hegemony for a little bit longer. Okay, so within that framework, then, would you say this book succeeds? Uh, yes. I think it does. Yeah. I, I think it does. I, I like think the book. so, too. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I know. I, I'm not trying to make you You weren't going back to that. Do. Yeah. No, not at all. No, I just, that was very, very fascinating. And, and as uh, I would happily call myself a layman, um, thinking in in terms of postmodernism in that context i really do think this is sort of just a brick against that a really beautiful happy brick against that and i and i would say she put she cracked it like it was i think she succeeded in what she was setting out to do if if that is what she was and she probably is i think most of her writing is is probably a lot of kind of beating against that that system and if that's the mm-hmm. case i'm excited for what's going to be new then i don't know this was really a fun thing to read i really enjoyed what she was able to do with this because it was so personal but at times incredibly thoughtful and um i had to constantly be on like the internet looking things up and totally. it was i i liked it yeah <laughs> i don't know we're not wrapping up now i just my mind's like trying to pick <laughs> on something now to like um, hold on to. Well, we could we could also ask Dan if he has any questions for us at this point, dumbass. Well, I can't 
I can't pretend to have any knowledge of this book because I didn't read it. Well, that's why we're. I mean, we're just wondering if. Uh, yeah. I mean, are you just confused as hell at this point, or? Um. No. 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 I mean, I used to read about this stuff. You know, it's been a couple years, but. Uh, yeah, I used to read like about some of the philosophical little... concepts or what. Yeah. 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 Right. <coughs> so I'm. You know, I'm actually kind of bummed I didn't read it. Like this would have been nice. You know, as a. It would, it would have t- it would have taken me back, man. <laughs> she talks a lot about the. Um, I could never even pronounce this in my head. You know those words where you just like just run over in your head because you're like I'm not even gonna pretend, but I'm getting what's being in like written down. The sodomical s- sodomitical mom mm. mother. Mm-hmm. Sodomitical mother. What is sodomitical so mean? I never looked it up either. Something was sodomy, me, but well, well, if what's she she just she just know well she describes it in the book, so we do have some clues. I couldn't tell if this was like. Can we just Google it right now? Uh, yeah, so we want to um, get on that. Yeah, let's Google. Well, yeah, unnatural within, sexual relation. Within Sorry. the context of the story, what I took the sodomitical mother to be is she she references the Wolfman, oh. which was one of the patients oh, of yeah. Freud. And in it, Freud talks, or this wolfman mentions a scene, a memory he has as a child in which he's seeing his parents have sex um, doggy style. And so he's seeing a lot, right? He describes, he can see the genitals at play. And then when Freud goes through and analyzes it, he's removed the mother's genitals and have just made it like a power structure, right? Like a power play. The father's dominating the mother. The mother's not even having sexual pleasure from this, right? Because the idea is that sex with a woman should just be for reproduction. Um, enjoyment's removed from it. And so, and then obviously I th- and I think what she was getting at then too with sodomy has always been a, a power play, especially if you then apply it for like men on men or in any sort of situations. Am I even remotely right? Oh. I don't, I don't think sodomitical mother Let's has Google. to do with sodomy. <laughs> I, I, I looked it up. Hold on. I need to do I, control find. You, I thought uh, it was Cooper, like... If you, saw me not, if you saw me nodding my head, I wasn't nodding my head at you. Sorry. Oh, no. I, I was just at, asking to the void, like, please help me out. I've said genitals and sodomy so many times. <laughs> I, feel, I think you're right. I don't think it has to do with sodomy, but I think I do remember the part where it says the removal of the mother's genitals was a huge part of it. And that's something like a mother has to contend with, right? And then she talks about some of her... Uh, that artist friend of hers who did a photo series in which she carved the word pervert into her chest and took pictures of that. And then years later when she had her son, and I saw this picture, it's a beautiful, fascinating picture. She has a picture of her breastfeeding her son and you can see the outlines of, of pervert written into her chest. And so this idea that like a mother, this, this separating the mother from the sexual being and then she, a big part of this book is like, no, no, why would we separate that? That is such a... a um, misogynistic view of what women are and it's just it's that idea of like we're just a whole person like that, that's exactly need- what it is um the phrase is this is from brooklynquarterly.org thank you brooklyn quarterly <laughs> <Word up>. um <laughs> uh the phrase is she says meant to indicate the mother with a sexuality that's in excess of the procreative capacity yeah so ah, how dare we how dare they? <laughs> um, but I wanted to read. There's one thing where she just like says straight up about um, 
ass fucking. She's like, oh, I don't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Oh, here you go. I'm not interested in uh, hermeneutics or in erotics. I, I'm sorry. I am not interested in a herme- hermeneutics or an erotics or a metaphorics of my anus. I am interested in ass fun- fucking. <laughs> That's from the book. Um, yeah, That's from the book. I am interested yeah. in the fact that the clitoris, disguised as a discreet button, sweeps over the entire area like a manta ray, impossible to tell where its 8,000 nerves and begin and end. I am interested in the fact that the human anus is one of the most innervated parts of the body, as Mary Roach explained to Terry Gross in a perplexing piece of radio that I listened to while driving <laughs> Iggy home from his 12-month vaccinations. <laughs> well, that's even... That quote? Oh, it's, it's just a really good quote where it ends... Oh, yes. <laughs> it's like a really awkward and interrogation. Here we go. Let, like, let's do it. I yeah, checked yeah. on Iggy periodically in the rearview mirror for signs of a vaccine-induced neuro, neuromuscular breakdown while Roach explained that the anus has, quote, tons of nerves, and the reason is that it needs to be able to discriminate by feel between solid, liquid, and gas. <laughs> that is poop, diarrhea, and farts, folks, and be <laughs> able to selectively release one or maybe all of those. That was me, by the way. And thank heavens for the anus because, you know, really a lot of gratitude, ladies and gentlemen, to the human anus. To which Gross replied, let's take a short break here, then we'll talk some more. This is fresh air. (laughs) I can, like, just picture Terry Gross saying that in her Terry Gross out voice. (laughs) Well, that passage is uh, in reference to or in response to uh, Tony Bentley's memoir the surrender which i remember reading a while ago because i was once a pervert who heard about this book about a woman talking about how much she enjoyed anal sex and uh just to put more context yeah she's referring to the memoir the surrender yeah she's on page 84 by the way 84 and 85 that was yeah uh she can't seem to write a sentence about ass fucking without obscuring it via metaphor bad puns or spiritual striving um Mm -hmm. And so yes, in, in a, a, it kind of comes out of nowhere it seems, but in, in this in the Argonauts, Nelson's just trying to make a very fun argument for ass play. Hell yeah! Because that is a that is a thing that they that I found very fascinating because I do find sex to be fascinating, and this idea of queer identity being beyond what us straight uh, normies would find comfortable, right? And in this new age of the internet. Um, it is becoming more and more that fetishes and, and fetishizing things are more and more common with us normies. And so she does have asked these questions a, a lot about where do us gay and queer folk go now? You know, oh, and, and, I see. Yeah. And one of the, one of the critiques, uh, positive critiques I read about the Argonauts, they mention um, this group that was going around handing out flyers uh, that said, um, we hate the gays, and it was a queer group who was saying that the gays have become this idea of like the homo um, n- normative, right? That's yeah, the homo homo normative. It's Were pretty there? much the mirror image of uh, the heteronormative, right? Right. Yeah. So this this group was going out advocating for the LGBTQA plus, com- or I guess just not all those acronyms, but at least the the gay community to become more like the queer community in which they're um, scaring us white folks, uh, wh- white mm, straight folks, pink. which I thought was very fun. I found out about pink capitalism. You guys know about pink capitalism? Mm-hmm. No. It's not a big... Well, it's not a big deal. It's it's just basically the incorporation of LGBT movement into capitalism. 
which is something I really find interesting. Just, you know, it's sort of the same thing when it becomes legal in marriage, it's going to naturally become more and more sure uh, normalized and more of a market. Uh, right. Right, exactly, yeah. right. Yay. The market is more diverse because of its inclusion. Hooray. <laughs> It is a huge part of this book where she does contend with, you know, she has that passage going back to her trip to Florida with Harry in which they just watch X-Men First Class, which I thought uh, was very funny. I was, can you read that, Cooper? I was going to read that one. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, yeah. do you have the page? Um, I did, and then I was looking for another one. Because I think it 60 does really... 60-something. 60-something. It is, it is her really kind of giving the reader this look at what... Her, what she's grappling with theoretically, which is to uh, oh, I got it. Assimilate or revolutionize, right? What so page? this is page eighty-one. Eighty. Um, I think this is at when they're on the trip for uh, his operation. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, they're in, they're in Fort Lauderdale for I think the top it's operation. Right. Right. Well, yeah, they're recovering in like the hotel. So it says later from our Sheraton sweet sleeper. With a little uh, R for what, what's for trademark, Sheraton Sweet Sleeper Bed. We ordered X Men First Class. Afterward, we debated assimilation versus revolution. I'm no cheerleader for assimilation per se, but in the movie, the assimilationists were advocating nonviolence and identification with the other in that bastardized Buddhist way that gets me every time. You expressed sympathy for the revolutionaries who argued, stay freaky and blow them up before they come for you, because no matter what they say, the truth is they want you dead, and you're fooling yourself if you think otherwise. Mm. That's nice. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. so and she, it's ta- something... she talks about Deleuze and X-Men in the same book. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah. Like <laughs> that's the cool like thing. Okay, yeah. and just, she does go on to Dan, say it's right after that fiction. passage... She goes on to say it's yeah. crappy fiction, and I was kind of offended, so, you know what? Fuck her. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What does she think's crappy fiction? X-Men. X-Men. All right, yeah, okay. Sure, I can, I, I'm on board with that. <laughs> <laughs> you support that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I uh, think I missed X-Men First Class. I, I don't know if yeah. I can do it. I haven't seen either, but the, it was the... It was the alluding to, like, comic book genre being crappy fiction. You know what? That's just rude. <laughs> um, well, it's funny. I have that right here because she said that's what we both hate about fiction, or at least crappy fiction. It purports to provide occasions for thinking through complex issues, but really it has predetermined the positions, stuffed a narrative full of false choices, and hooked you on them, rendering you less able to see out to get out. Which I think I is a that. pretty good critique of crappy fiction. But yeah, oh, isn't also yeah. that sometimes... <laughs> Fuck yeah, Maggie Nelson. Couldn't you also say sometimes that's a formula for good fiction? Uh, no, dude, she can't. <laughs> well, I'm just asking you. Oh, yeah, probably. No, Eric. I hey, mean, man. no, Eric. It's all subjective. No. Good um, art is it subjective. Um, I wanted to, because to me, this was kind of a central issue of this book was, um, like the discussion of what it means to be queer and what it means to raise a family. You had it right the first time. Disquestion. Disquestion. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for making fun of my speech. You had it right the first time. It's (laughs) disquestion. I forgot what I was saying altogether. (laughs) Sorry. 
what the, the question of queerness is and yeah. how it fits into like a capitalist society that pretty much requires you to sign up uh, for a certain like life when you mm-hmm. have a kid because kids right. are expensive um, pretty much inherently in this culture for some reason. Um, so like <laughs> that was something that really interested me where, right. It t- mentions that uh, one of her exes or I'm sorry, one of Harry's exes um, said something about how they were playing house together, how her and Maggie and uh, Harry were playing house. Mm, um, that's very early on. Yeah. 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 Um, and there's a, that's a, pretty inflammatory remark right yes um, it upsets maggie yeah well and rightly so if maggie uh, is maggie not queer is that correct i think she is queer i, I thought she, she was queer. Queer. how is she queer yeah. how is yeah. she queer um well she, just she is she's I, a yeah. sodomite for one <laughs> sure sure um but like, I, like does I, she pr- like what are her i, I, I don't know yeah keep going <laughs> no, it's a good question. I no, I believe you know she presents as a woman. I believe she. Well, is she a woman, dates but... Harry when Harry has a is female a... body. Mm-hmm. Right, still masculine presenting. Harry okay. is. So she's I bisexual. Guess... Right. No, I mean she's. I believe she's just queer. All right, which is like she's a non-binary, right? Sure. Spectrum. I think Harry's not. Would you define what that as like a binary? Hold mean? on a second. Can we a get one person at a time, of... please? Oh yeah. What's non-binary mean again? You, that I'm... you don't have a male or you don't assign yourself to a male or female gender. Correct. It's like a I think that's Harry. That is Harry. But I, I thought they both did. She's well, just and that's different. More... That's different than gender fluid, right? Like gender fluid would be like an oscillating. Yes. Whereas non-binary would be like a. It's just saying I would rather you don't call me. A man either or a of them, woman. sure. Yeah. Right. Right. Sure. 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 Or anything. Right. Yeah. Um. Well, I there's we one thing at out. the end where, um. I think this is the very end. We should mention that. So part of this uh, thinking about what queerness means and. Um, how how it's important to the book is that. Right, uh, Maggie ends up thinking about pregnancy as a sort of queer state to be in, where you have mm-hmm. a foreign body inside of your own, and uh, your body changes. Right, she kind of draws some vague parallels between her body changing, as we kind of mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. So the book sort of coalesces with. I think it was. Can you guys help me out with all that italicized tech? text at the end mm-hmm. about somebody dying well that's harry recounting okay so that is her it. mother yeah, yeah. dying of cancer right. okay so harry's mother died and then it was her giving birth um but in that oh that she, was a wildly beautiful part i will say totally um and in it at the very end she kind of has this letter to her kid Right inside of well, this letter to Harry, trying to trying to formulate one, but and she finally does just a paragraph. It seems. Mm. Oh, um, do you have it? Yeah, it's on one forty-two. 
And so to her kids, she says, I want you to know you were thought of as possible, never as certain, but always as possible, not in any single moment, but over many months, even years of trying, of waiting, of calling, when in a love sometimes sure of itself, sometimes shaken by bewilderment and change, but always committed to the charge of ever-deepening understanding, two human animals, one of whom is blessedly neither male nor female, the other of whom is female, more or less, Deeply, doggedly, wildly wanted you to be. Which is a mouthful, and you have to go back and kind of read it to really put it together because it's all one sentence. But the main point is that two people, one of them is neither male nor female, the other of whom is more or less female, wanted this kid to be. Um, So that's that's her... Wait, hold on. So she's talking about her and Harry, right? They both wanted this kid... Yeah, she's just yeah. saying but to the kid, on, hey, she, me on, and no, your wait, father, wait, 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 wait. or me and this person wanted you to be very bad. But, so, but she's talking here. about Harry and herself, right? Correct. But is she the, she biologic, was, is she the biological I, parent? Because she I mean, is yes. artificially No, they had a donor. But she's still the bio mom. Okay, sure, 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 sure. She's her eggs. Yeah. Oh wait a minute. So so she she's the one that gave birth, not Harry. I know. I'm just I'm just confused. I Harry gave birth to his uh to. Their own kid, sure, beforehand. before like seven years before, okay. And right. then yeah, Harry underwent a uh, top uh surgery and treatment, testosterone treatment, sure, and it's okay. more masculine. But now, and then, and then they had a donor for to have a child yeah. with Maggie, correct? Okay, yep. and then right. Maggie All gave right. birth to Iggy, their son. They oh, talk, okay. it's funny All actually. Right. They talk about how they have just a friend who comes over and jacks off in a jar for him, right? Yep, it was right. Because, well, the, it's why? specifically said Newman's own Newman's contain. own salsa, an empty yeah. Newman's own salsa. Oh, yeah. Container. Hold on, wait, wait then what, what, are the, what, what is one to do with this cum? Well, one you puts take it a, in. Take well, it's it a preferred the, method. It's not the turkey baster, she says. You take it's it to a, no, it's, um, oh, they're using this to impregnate syringe. An oral syringe, is that right? An oral syringe. Well, because oh. first she tries going. She goes to the sperm donor clinic, and it's it's very um, cold and clinical, and at times painful, and it just wasn't working. And it's an ex- it's a very expensive oh. process to go in. And I guess um, she has a point. Newman's own has never been cold or clinical. That's so, very true. Yeah. Now, <laughs> on that same on that same page, and I and I think I am like getting really soft in my old age of twenty five with the kid on a way, because this book. Towards the end, especially, got very emotional for me. Got got the old like wood grains in the throat as I was reading about the idea of having a child. Who knows why? Um, <laughs> but I think you were considering that, your own path. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, but I I thought it was because this is a lot to do with family and and um, the the different arrangements that can cause it. And I think. Uh, Phil, what you read was just a really beautiful little synopsis of what it really matters. Like, who really gives a shit who is who as long as that sentiment you just read is kind of the outcome. But I also thought it just above that was really touched me for some reason. And in in this book, she mentions Winnicott a lot. I guess he was a child psychologist. Um, And it's just this passage where she says, Babies do not remember being held well. What they remember is the traumatic experience of not being held well enough. Some might read in this a recipe for the classic ungratefulness of children after everything I've done for you and so on. To me, at the moment anyways, it is a tremendous relief 
an, ex, an, ex, an incitement to give Iggy no memory, save the sense, likely unconscious, of having once been gathered together, made to feel real. And I guess in my emotional state, that, that, that part just touched me real deep. Gotcha, huh? Nice. nice. That's cool. That's cool you had, like, a personal connection to it. Um, I also wanted to say that I think part of Maggie Nelson's goal with this is kind of to make us question, and this might be, this is probably controversial, um, but, like, the extent to which we are all queer. And I know people don't like that kind of leveling, and I think that's fair. Um, but, like, lately I've been kind of considering my own queerness, like, if I have it and how. Um, and I don't, it's kind of, it seems like a strange formulation of a sentence to me to say that even. Well, so. can I say something, Phil? I, I thought yeah. the same thing, too, where I almost, like, wanted to look up, can you, and I'm, this is, hold, let me have a comment after this, but yeah. type in, can you be queer and straight? But I think more importantly is, can you be queer and just for time being not have uh, sex with people that are not women. Um, right. For, for, uh, oh, for however long that might go on into the future. Um, like, I almost feel like that would be more positive for, well, I don't know. That's a question. I don't, right. I don't know. Right. Like, cause that's part of the assimilation thing. It's like, do you really yeah, want watered down I don't want to, to water that extent? Exactly. Yeah. Like, should I just keep to my straight side of the fence? Right. So, right. Yeah. I don't know. But also, like, I've been reading or started reading that book you sent me, Jordan, Marquis de Sade. Um, and there's a lot of sodomy in that. And, like, um, it's it seems yeah. to me that sodomy is just sort of a queer thing. Like, mm. that well, straight end, people engage in a lot. And it, I mean, it even says at the end uh, something about flying anuses, speeding vaginas. There is no castration. Hmm. That's actually Deleuze. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like the second to last paragraph. So like that's almost like this, like um, banner for like what queer like queerness. So, mm. to me, yeah. Not not being much about like dicks and things like that. But. It's it occurs to me that asking uh, Google if you can be queer and straight is just like a another level of googling. Am I gay? Yeah, I didn't actually that. makes it better. I was, I had another way. I thought it, so maybe that's, that's good enough. I'm worried I'm gay. Let's, let's ask our uh, chat room. <laughs> Is Jordan gay? Oh, I don't, we should look at that. Yeah, we'll see what Jack thinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, Jack, is Jordan gay? <laughs> I don't think we announced it. Yeah, we didn't announce this one, so I don't think we probably, there's nobody. Yeah. We could just, we could just text him. <laughs> we could just text him. <laughs> in a group chat. Let's just make a group chat. Yeah. And we can text him, ask him. Uh, we lost Coop. It looks like. Yeah, he lost audio. He can't hear us, guys. Oh, I see him wiping his I forehead. So yeah, he looks. He looks. Uh, Cooper, I wonder if you just need Wait. to jump on and off real quick or something. Yeah. Oh. I don't think he can hear us either. I think we have to so, right, right, right. I just tried talking to him. Who knows? Um, can we carry on a little bit yeah, yeah. while? Well, okay. Um, well, I guess this is just us three at this point. But four. Hey, guys... hey, bud. There's four of us still. 
Oh, oh, oh I meant because because Dan hadn't read it. But, oh, yeah, But yeah, you, yeah. Can chime, you can chime in it. But uh, how <laughs> did you feel she accommodated for things that were intersectional, like class or Marxism, really? Um, hmm. Do you think that... Because there are moments in here reading it where uh, she got on Zizek's uh, ass for a second and other times where she was very aware of uh, how class plays into it and... And just like to the fact that she is critical of marriage and she has that, I wanted to read it earlier, something about how marriage is, here it is, poor marriage, off who went to kill it, unforgivable, or reinforce it, unforgivable. And like there is this awareness of um, gender, or sorry, queerness sometimes isn't enough. You have to like, there are other things outside of it and whether or not those ways of, Fighting Marxism, or sorry, fighting capitalism is something that's part of queerness. Uh, uh, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Do you think it is? Do I think being part of queerness is has to do with? Uh, or fighting yeah. like make it looser, like fighting inherently uh, violent systems like capitalism or something. I mean, I suppose it, it could. Here's a question. Is it, oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Jordan. No, go ahead, Eric. I don't know. I just find that stuff, like, those those passages in this book to me were tedious, and I just didn't care. About marriage? Know. No, no, about, like, the, like, uh, Marxism and, like, the communist, uh, not, sorry, capitalism and, like, how they're feeding in. Like, like you were saying, to be queer would be to fight these systems. I don't know. That stuff just kind of, like, is that taking it too far? Is that worrying too much about it? I thought those were some of the, like, for me, more engaging things. Like, because, like I said, I've been thinking along those lines a lot. Totally. And, I, and yeah, I know you specifically uh, are really interested in those kind of subjects. I guess I'm less interested, so that, that to me, just seemed like... Your heteronormativity is showing, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, well, can those of us who are interested talk about it? Oh, I was just being combative. Isn't that part of a book club? You You're just being obstructive. Baby. Um, because something that I end up thinking a lot in, like, terms of capitalism and families is something that, like, intrigues me of, like, how we've turned everything, including kids, into something that you can make a lot of money on. Not as parents, mm-hmm. but as a company. Um, so... One of the things that I'll definitely mention next episode, I think, is Sex of Dawn, right? Yeah. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so, um, the relationship escalator is something that, like, Sex at Dawn is trying to challenge. And the relationship escalator is a concept that I read about or heard about in a podcast, actually. Um, the Multiamory podcast. They had this lady on talking about solo polyamory and the relationship escalator. And this stuff is applicable to uh, stuff far outside of polyamorous shit because it mm-hmm. basically just describes like relationships as we uh, think of them like the things that we take for granted and how the forms that a relationship takes like and it, the relationship escalator kind of sits inside uh, a larger escalator that you could call the life escalator say for like a middle class upper middle class American dream where like for the life escalator you go to high school hopefully graduate go to college, maybe meet somebody, um, graduate college, find a good job, maybe marry the person that you meant, hopefully. Um, 
and then have kids, work, save, retire, and die. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's the life escalator, and the relationship escalator is pretty much takes up most of it, actually. Um, so if we look at that as a way that people just assume, like, this is what you do if you want to be in a successful relationship, that that ends in marriage and that ends in a family and a household is, like, kind of offensive, right? Obviously, to a queer community, it would be. Um, right. And then it's also interesting, right, again, just to bring it back, like, that's, if you look at it, like, that's what Maggie Nelson's family would look like if you took a picture. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some sense, they've, like, fallen in, in the end, like, to um, total normativity. Um uh, and so there's just a question about, like, how much, how harmful that is to people, maybe. Like, that's what the mm-hmm. next book will ask is, like, um, are humans designed for this stuff? And we don't necess- we don't want to engage those questions now, but it, they have relevance in a, in a way here, for sure. So, and it's kind of a nice connector, connector between the two books. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's even more... Two, I I can, when I think of the idea of relationships and families in terms of capitalism, it makes me think of some of the um, problems that several industrial countries are going to have, in particular uh, countries like China and Japan and even Germany and the U.S. to some degrees, uh, potentially seeing this problem, and and that is a a lack of reproduction is going to severely, severely... um, affect their their workforce you know japan is kind of undergoing a a pretty severe economic crisis right now because they just don't have uh, people to turn over and to and to replace the older generation of people within the the marketplace and the workforce um which is direct is the most direct link to reproduction in in capital that i i think i could imagine totally you need workers Um, or uh, indentured servants, as you prefer. <laughs> right, and and so I think at the end, when when uh, when she takes that remark, one of her friends made to her, or or at least that she read, like you know, queer don't uh, queerness means not reproducing or producing, um, and essentially she ties them to the same thing, just by saying just not don't produce, um, mm. and then sort of has to confront that herself and. And then she just find loves and it find finds love and and um, um, acceptability in that fact. I mm. think is sort of what like the she end accepts is. it. Yeah, because why wouldn't she? Because she's she's happy, right? For the time being, that's what she says. Like, I think that's the important thing, and I would say right because like I wouldn't happiness. say this right. I wouldn't say this from my position but like a queer like a way more queer person than me or whatever would could say like these people sold out like they ended up just reinforcing the image of a white family essentially like complete with a name that they took from a native the native americans for their kid which Um, is like the whitest thing i've ever heard by the way it's white as fuck (laughs) yeah and she knows that like to get a ceremony done too like that is so well they didn't have a ceremony ceremony. no no Oh okay. It was a, it was a nurse in the hospital who happened to be part of the Pima tribe. Oh okay, like, okay. I was under the impression that like 
they they had like you know they they lit sage and you know had a whole <laughs> no. had a whole ritual. <laughs> no, no. But I think you can make that accusation, right? That you guys are just fucking like normative, like. Um, and I think Harry could respond by saying, or probably would respond first by just saying like "fuck you" rightfully, <laughs> but yes. also um, right. would probably just say something like, "Listen, I've had a lot of fucking hard times in my life, and I've finally found happiness." So, also like kindly fuck off. <laughs> but right, and I think that's enough. Um, sure. But I think these 100%. questions, in like a capitalist sense, or like an ecological sense, or um, something like that like maybe persist where it's like do we want to participate in a system where babies are treated as a means for like making money like mm-hmm. or like and there's a, a big question about the extent to which we have a choice like if you have a kid that's just how it's going to happen um right. and so there's also a question of like the responsibility of fucking Maggie Nelson and Harry to like you know they're not going to bring down the thing by not having a kid or not being like a normative family anyway, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not like they ruined goes... their re- revolutionary potential. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've been trying to with each of our books to find a good like one star review on Goodreads oh. to read and get your oh that's on. such a good idea that's such <laughs> um, a good idea please because these are like user driven yeah like there's there's I, with this one. A lot of them were kind of what we've talked about. Like, it's highfalutin. It was hard to comprehend and pretentious. And I was like, that's something we can talk about. But this one I thought was very good. This one is from a user by the name of Suk Young. Um, And this is her review, her one-star review. All right. In sum, this book was written by a white woman in a long-term stable relationship with a white female to male and therefore male partner in a two-parent mom-and-dad household of two children who is made very happy by this domestic arrangement. But since this makes her appear essentially the most heteronormative white woman ever, she felt the need to write a book-length blog (laughs) entry about how out there and special and cutting-edge and sexually perverted she really is for for really reals. Give me a fucking break. That this book was listed as a notable book of 2015 by the New York Times is just a marker for white privilege and that the presumed readers of that paper who are also living totally normative lives also want to feel like they are doing something transgressive just by living their comfortable prosperous lives no you are not in all caps (laughs) yay that's crazy hilarious (laughs) it's it's still going she keeps insisting that she's so (laughs) out there but all she can marshal is that she has some very avant-garde photo exhibits and has had anal sex whoop de do (laughs) oh i love that (laughs) oh that's great Oh, and she uses words like hermetics and eidetic. Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, thank you. And eidetic and slippage and other postmodern lit crick lingo, which actually doesn't make her sound incisive, just pretentious. Gosh, and the name dropping. Judith Butler, Zizek, Irigari. I'm sure I butchered all those, et cetera, et cetera. This was a hate read. I'm so glad I went to law school and became a corporate lawyer for a global corporation because I went to a college that had classes wherein people talk just like this woman, and I'm sure a lot of them grew up to be her. Wow, corporate lawyer bit. <laughs> That's a, That was unexpected. It kind of, uh, it kind of took a turn there at the end. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like M. Night. <laughs> um, she's really she just, glad she went to law school to become a corporate lawyer for a giant ass. corporation. <laughs> she just got shamaloned. 
that's great. I think, I think it was a good critique. I, I mean, I don't. Sorry, sorry. I don't want to hear that. For back. a one-star review, that is very, very erudite. For a one-star yeah, it was fun. It was fun to read, but I don't necessarily think it. I, it just that felt. Her reading that review felt like she just had a shallow reading of the book. Mm, yeah, yeah, dismissive. It's just a dismiss. I mean, she says it's a hate. She made it as a hate read. Um, right. I just I thought it was funny. I I think a lot of the things she brings up we've talked about. Um, yeah. Uh, I just yeah I don't know. I think that might be something fun to do to look for a one star at least one or a couple one star reviews. Um, for each book that we read, because hopefully they're out I, there. I would like to share something really quick. So I looked at the book for my, my next uh, choice of book, and I looked up a one-star review just now. There's only one, and it just says, crying, comma, crying, exclamation. <laughs> 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 I have no idea. It's a fun little activity, just looking up one-star reviews. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is great. Newest segment to waste books, one-star yes. reviews. Um, and Let's now try. for our next, that's a good transition for our next segment. Uh, we need to figure out a name, but it's going to be the part of the show where we really get into the fat black feminist perspective on this. Ah, We've yes. all been waiting for it. This one. Excuse me? <laughs> um, what? Jordan, can you kick that off? <laughs> We're transitioning to something. Um, I don't know um, what he's talking about either. We need you to t- tell us everything that you can that a black feminist would say. In 60 seconds. I feel like go. we're treading into some dangerous <laughs> iceberg waters. <laughs> oh, the iceberg oh, makes a back. return. Yeah. It's been a few episodes. I've been waiting all episode, fuckers. Is this still season one? What are we in right now? We're, We're still about in season one. Two, three years in. It's very long season. It's too long. Have we been doing this for two years? Yeah. Holy and shit. And we have nothing... We have not improved at all since the first one. We have. We've done, like, three episodes in, like, the last, like, month. I don't mean, like, we can put out as many as we want. <laughs> content within them. Sure. <laughs> I joke. I tease. No, well, I mean... I love you it's all. It's probably true that the first 50 episodes of a podcast are garbage, so... We've done 50 episodes? No. no. That's the point. <laughs> oh, fuck. I was we've like, holy like, we've shit. We've done like 12 episodes. 13. That's still this a is number, lot. number 13. Four more years. <laughs> Lock her up. <laughs> Build the wall. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, good. I mean, we all agree. Like, we need something down there on the southern border. <laughs> what, what would Maggie Nelson have to say about the wall? That's what I really want to know. That should oh. be another segment. We just <laughs> what would our authors of books say about Donald Trump's policies? Well, just given that, Mary we Shelley need something say. down there. <laughs> just something, guys. We all agree we need something down there on the southern border. We should end. Can we, do we want to have any th- final thoughts? We I said the relationship yeah, escalator. Should, I, that's all I, I care about. Should we? Should we each give our final <laughs> thoughts? 
Yeah, should we do that? That's what I just said. Yeah. Sure. Cooper, that's you first. Uh, <laughs> um, I really enjoyed this book. I had a lot of fun. It, it was really nice to... I have a fuckload of work right now with semester and work and stuff and getting ready for the baby. So this this nice... This book coming in at one, 143 was a relief. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really did enjoy it. It was at times difficult to parse out uh, because of some of the references, literary references she made. Um, but that I, I took that as a sort of roadmap for me to read more and don't necessarily dock it for that. And I think her descriptions of childbirth and motherhood and the idea of non-traditional love and non-traditional family was really, really fun to get a, an insight on. And I, and I feel better for having read this. Um, you know, we, we can joke all we want about um, these times and... I don't even know what to say anymore. It seems like they're outlawing testosterone, but it is important to read stuff like this. I think into um, there are, there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of different perspectives out there, and it behoove me to at least take a look at one besides my own every once in a while. Yeah. Here, here. Hey, Cooper. Before you move yeah. away from you, I have a question for you. Yeah. What do you think about having a family and stuff? Having read this book. I mean, you just mentioned you've got a baby on the way, so... Yep. I wonder... Um, there... The, I've, I've been doing this thing where I... Um, and this book counts among it, where I've kind of been taking in some, some you know, child psychology and parenting books, and but I'm just kind of putting them away right now in the back of my head and, and sort of stewing on it because I'm just... Laura and I are both so busy with getting this restaurant up and running getting the place up and running, you know, I'm back and forth five days a week going to classes. So it's just like all so much, um, on our plate. And I kind of like that. I like that. We're not necessarily, um, devoting every moment of our time to the, to this idea of this child. Um, but instead are just sort of able to carve out our own lives and are making room for, to have a beautiful, happy, healthy baby. Nice. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Congratulations. Yes, indeed. It was totally planned. <laughs> <laughs> Are you uh, bummed to be providing just another indentured servant to servant to the capitalist structure? Oh, God. Do you feel all right about that? Well, I get tax breaks, baby. <laughs> that's where they get you. That's that's where they get you. I Sorry, can't bro. wait to write that three on my W nine. <laughs> <laughs> it won't save you. The tax break won't save you, Cooper. <laughs> let's let's get Cooper off the hot seat, shall we? <laughs> Ouch! Ouchie! <laughs> that was my bottom burning. Alphabetical. Yeah, Dan. All right, Dan, Dan, read it. What do you th- What do you right, think um, of it, Dan? You know, I like the idea of have you know if we have to the idea of having a dumbass on this podcast is fine. Um, I I like doing it. I, I like that I haven't read the book at all because Phil, like last time you tried to be the dumbass, you had read part of the book and you were confused as hell. Oh right? yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I I think like part of the 
I feel like I'm playing the part of like a true dumbass. Like I, I, really, <laughs> I really haven't read any of it. It's but, just uh, so natural, Dan. Right, 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 right. This is an extension of my daily, you know, waking life. It's great. It's great. Um, no, I would, I, I would have liked to read it. Uh, you know, after this conversation. Maybe you will. Someday. You still yeah. can. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, if a if a copy you know shows itself somewhere in Bangkok, I will. Uh, I'll try I'll put very it hard. In a big glass bottle and send it across the ocean for you. All right, all right. I'll wait. I'll go to Pattaya and wait at the beach. Be there for a while. Um, Love it. But uh, yeah, yeah. That's basically all I have to say. You can cut that last part out. <laughs> We won't. We're gonna let you. We're gonna right. let you hang out to dry. Great, great. That's my favorite. That's that should be like the tagline of our podcast. We're five friends let each other hang out to dry. Yes. That's modern friendship. It's beautiful. It's great. Yes. It's just because all we care about is money. We're all indentured servants. Money. <laughs> all right. Who's next up? Um, I'll go. Oh, it's Eric. No, wait. No, no, no. Yeah, Eric, the next father in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm all your guys' daddy. Uh. (laughs) Well, uh, yes. So I, I kind of had a different, I, I think, take on it than you guys. Like, I enjoyed the content and like talking about it tonight has been like a lot more eye opening too, and like getting to really flush it out. I think my biggest gripe with it was just the chaotic nature of the narrative and I get a little bit picky about that sometimes and I think she had a lot of good like rhythmic poetic verses and she has very good descriptive language in the book um it just threw me off with all the references and all the uh chaotic pacing that I experienced Mm -hmm. but that was just my personal um, experience with the the reading of it. Otherwise, I mean, the content has been really awesome to discuss and like talk about with you guys, and so I think it made for a really good episode. Yeah, and that's my six cents. Uh, I I would give a more passionate uh, explanation of how I felt about the film, but two people in my apartment are asleep, so we have to be quiet. Uh, Shh. It was really good. It's a book. It was about a book. It a it's not a film. Yeah, did you watch the movie? I thought I said, don't, we can't watch Jason and the Argonauts. <laughs> oh, we didn't read the passage about. All right, go ahead, Jordan. I'm going to pull it out. Yeah, I did like that. I did like the whole Argonaut. But it kind of got back to that idea of a word. And, like, you can dismantle something, but it still is, like, a reference to something. Uh, like, the, wor- mm. the word Argonaut is. Oh, you were getting at that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the boat. Of the Argonauts. Well, the name was called the Argus? Argo? Argo. Argo. Argos. Argo. Yeah. Argo. The, book, the name of the... So the boat keeps getting taken apart and keep putting in new parts on it and repairing it, but it's still called the Argo. So... Right. As far as, like, this referencing to, like, a thing or a person or, like, a word, that word still has a meaning. Uh, and that there's something sustaining in that, something nourishing in that. And it's, I don't know, when you come from this sort of queer background or this gender this confusing gender expectation uh, I, I can understand the necessity of having to see things like that and it was written really well I love the way it was written uh, that references were great but I'm, I mean I come from this just 
being in school, so it felt more natural to me. So I get, like, Eric, your qualms with it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. It was really good, and it was really the most engaging book I've ever read on gen on queerness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's me. I agree with you there. Uh, well, that leaves me. I'm going to read this <clears throat> passage. I have, I have a question, too, after you're done. Uh, I probably should have done it before we gave our final thoughts, but... Uh... What the fuck? So, yeah. <laughs> just, just do it. Why don't you do just it? Do it. Just fucking <laughs> All right. Well, does she talk about like her family? At all? Or, like, do they talk about their families and their like reaction to them being like queer? I mean, like, I don't know. A mem- I feel like a queer memoir, like you know, like family's like a big thing. Right? Family is a big part of this book, but at no, like, we don't. It, it the, the conflict, which I'm sure you're right, was there is just removed from it, because that's just not what she wants to tell. Sure, like, sure, sure. Yeah, I was just curious. Like, uh, A lot of it, because this is a book about her becoming a mother, it's her talking about her own mother, um, but it's still in terms of that, um, in terms of, like, the capital M, mother. Um, okay. We don't, we don't get, we don't get scenes of, like, get out of my house, you gay. <laughs> All right, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's that's what I was asking actually. Like yeah, that, that, that was what I really meant to ask. Are there any juicy scenes like that? <laughs> you pervert. <laughs> uh no, and again in fact going back to to Harry uh, who might be in our conservative terms like the most um out there potentially if we have to make up conflict between parents and whatnot. Uh, Harry was adopted adopted and there's that beautiful scene at the end of the book where she's with her adopted mother. Um, as she dies, uh, and it, it seems that there is a very loving relationship there. So, um, no, everything everything's fairly uh, positive in this book in terms of people's relationships with their own uh, sexual and gender identity. Nope. I think Phil was next. Oh, or did he, yeah. Or did sorry. Give I his final thoughts. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Well, Phil thought Christ. it was swell. He hates capitalism, and you know, was, good night. <laughs> he hates yeah, something yeah. about escalators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Is that your BB-8 replica? <laughs> yeah. Have you got? Have you guys read the the on the internet about how uh, a lot of people, a lot of men in it, men's right activists, were upset at. <laughs> BB-8 on the new Star Wars Why? because it was a representation of it was they were it was the white boy cuck of the Star Wars universe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I wish I was joking. Like I wish I crafted this perfect joke, but it's a real thing. They were upset by BB-8 because they said it was the fil- They said it was liberal Hollywood's representation of white men, and making them into like cuck soy boys. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> 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 because black people can't be stormtroopers is like what you can read from that, right? Like you're like, why are you so upset? Oh, because it's a girl and a black dude. <laughs> like <laughs> that's why you guys hate the new Star Wars. So can I go? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I want to talk more about Star Wars. Final <laughs> uh, um, thoughts. Okay, so page five. Here's the thing that talks about the book, where the title of the book comes from. Uh, A day or two after my love pronouncement, 
Now, Feral with Vulnerability, I send you a passage from Roland Barthes by Roland Barthes, in which Barthes describes how the subject who utters the phrase, I love you, is like the Argonaut renewing his ship during its voyage without changing its name. Just as the Argo's parts may be replaced over time, but the boat is still called the Argo, whenever the lover utters the phrase, I love you, its meaning must be renewed by each use, as the very task of love and of language is to give to one in the same phase inflections which will be forever new. Um, which is kind of a mouthful, but like, the important part is, whenever the lover utters the phrase, I love you, its meaning must be renewed by each use, as the very task of love and of language is to give to one in the same phrase inflections which will be forever new. So, mm-hmm. like, I've just been thinking a lot lately about, um, like, discursiveness and the ways that, like, our lives, like, fold back onto themselves or, like, the way that the world is, like, the same and different at the same time. And I feel like this passage and kind of the book, right, like, um, sums up how people change and yet how, like, love persists through that. Um, and how language, right, this is a piece of language, this whole book, basically, um, is like a ship itself, like the Argo. Uh, I don't know. Like, even though we encounter the same shit, it's got, like, a little different twist to it all the time. Right. Um, and so we have that with ourselves, right? Like the idea of an unstable self. Um, so in, in the beginning, when you have two people saying, I love you to each other, it's two unstable, uh, entities saying words, which are unstable themselves. And like the word love is a unstable word. So everything in that statement is unstable. But I think that, beautiful part is like through living like genuine i don't know you could say it in a genuine way to where it like retains meaning and it's not just empty like we were talking about right um yeah so anyway that's nice little like thing to end on where the title comes from i really like this like i said i've been thinking about like queerness kind of and um butt sex is always fun to talk about um hell yeah it's a real people pleaser. It's a re- oh yeah, <laughs> for some. Yeah, right. and it's what I'm gonna use to promote it. It's like the people's <laughs> elbow. Is that a wrestling move? The people's elbow. Y'all ever watch wrestling? No, because I didn't. Because <laughs> I didn't. Um, I remember I flipped. I flipped to it once when I was a kid on TV. And I, like, saw, like, a WWE match, and it scared me. Because I, oh. I thought it was real, and there was, like, blood, and it was violent. And oh, I, yeah. I switched it really away really fast. It scared me. That would be. It looks I was like, a pussy. It looks like the people's elbow is a signature move of The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> what is it? It's Can a finishing move. What it I'm is? not sure. Uh, it's a finishing a, move, yes. It's a finishing move, which, I mean, butt sex in the same way is, you know, ideally it's a finishing move. A finishing move, yeah, yeah. Um, that it right. finishes your relationship because you ask for it too much. Dude, dude, all right, all right. I have a, I have a definition here, and uh, th- you must bear in mind the spelling. 
Um, all right. So the people's elbow was one of the signature moves of the of the Rock. First, he would look at the crowd, spelled C R O U D, <laughs> then pull off his elbow pad in slow motion and throw it into the crowd. <laughs> and he would run left, bounce off the ropes, then over the guy on the ground, bounce off the ropes again. Then he would kick his right leg up and drop his elbow onto the man's heart. <laughs> That's his elbow pad off oh, in slow yeah. motion. <laughs> That's about the closest description of butt sex I've ever heard. <laughs> right in the heart. It's just right an elbow, the, the rock's elbow to the heart. <laughs> oh, I keep oh, asking man. my girlfriend to be pegged, and she will not do it. <laughs> oh, that's what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Coop's like, I'm just gonna clarify, uh, guys. We're gonna have to edit this out, guys. She's my baby mama, and we can't disrespect her. No, 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 that. sorry, we don't edit anything out. This is where you get hung out to dry. <laughs> uh, oh boy! All right, I didn't, I didn't get to finish. I was just gonna say some shit about escalators and capitalism. Um, but we can wait and just say something we can, about that. We can do that time. next time. Yeah, yeah, it'll be there. You'll we'll be have you'll there. have plenty to say during uh, what's your movie? <laughs> <laughs> Sex at Dawn. <laughs> oh, this is just oh. a bonfire. We better prepare our uh, anuses, boys. Perfect. Why do we even read books? Why don't we just like hang out like friends and talk like this? It'd probably be funnier. It's no, it true. <laughs> yeah, people would listen to it. <laughs> Besides Jack. Besides Jack. Besides Jack and the team at Podbean wondering what the fuck is on their, on their channel. <laughs> I love how you take it upon yourself to, ch- to start making fun of Podbean. You know, <laughs> if you want to change over the platform, Cooper, you can do it yourself. It's a big I know, process that's funny. now. <laughs> I know. I was like, I'm ne- none of us are ever going to do that. That'd be insane. No, apparently it's not that hard. I, I was thinking about it anyway, so we should probably. No, that's what I use. Fuck you. I love Podbean. <laughs> Fuck off. Podbean for life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this episode oh. brought to you and sponsored by Podbean. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I like how Phil didn't you reach out and be like, "Yo, anybody out there listen to Podbean?" <laughs> all the responses we got were people being like, "Nobody listens to Podbean." I no, I would I have not to do otherwise like, interacted with it's this like the post. Same I just format as every other one. You're misconstruing the, the text. It was written text. It, it wasn't like somebody <laughs> announcing in a rap concert. It, it was just saying, it was a, just a, a, a genuine question, does anybody use Podbean? It wasn't... It wasn't like, yo, give it up for Podbean! Who uses Podbean? Give it up. There was... <laughs> I, I, I opened that post and there's tumbleweeds just rolling across my living room. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, we got Podbean, like 37 more you. episodes till we have a good episode. Yeah. <laughs> We've done 87 episodes? No, I was thinking like 50 episodes is what it takes before you're good at it, kind of. All right, listeners, listeners. So, 
that's a promise that waste that here us here at Waste are making to you. You stick around till fifty episodes, and it's gonna be good. Yeah, yeah. and then we'll do one more fifty-one <laughs> episodes, and then quit. And then you'll have done. one good episode. Yeah. We were a great we'll podcast. All... <laughs> we'll we'll delete we the entire backlog top, and just left. Leave that one good one on Podbean just to stew. Only on Podbean. Exclusively at Podbean. And this. And that's a gift for talking so much shit on Podbean, but yes, yes, it's time to But come check out our shit on Podbean. Podbean's hacked my mainframe. Oh, fuck. Well, should we say bye, guys? Heard you was talking shit, but yeah. Yeah. I just get beat up by like a fucking uh, clockwork orange looking motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Heard you talking shit on Podbean, piece. huh? Yeah, talking <laughs> shit. Yeah, Podbean. Wow, Podbean's so fucking shitty they have to hire old timey people to whoop my ass. Well, alright, everybody just say bye. Let's fucking right. bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Well, that does it for another episode of Waste Books. Thank you for listening. We hope you found it interesting or engaging or maddening. Maybe it was maddening at times. Um, burp, burp, burp. Next time we're reading Sex at Dawn. That's going to be fucking fun. That's my pick. So I'll be trying to put a bunch of ideological shit about uh polyamory and uh it'll be fun so tune in if you're interested in that kind of thing it's about sex which is fun um do 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 oh okay music today is by the big sky trio and it's a track called nardis it's actually a song or a tune originally written by miles davis these guys are some of my friends I work with here in Billings. Uh, there's Eric Olson on piano, Keller Paulson on drums, and Parker Brown on bass. These guys are basically uh, mentors slash friends of mine. And this is from an album they worked on called Short Stories, which is pretty cool. You can check it out on Spotify. Um, boop, boop, boop. Okay, Big Sky Trio. Yeah, I think that's it. Okay. And lastly, okay, website, waste-division.org, patreon.com slash waste division if you're interested in that shit. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>